let me handle reading your chat. Um, <laughs> I got it. I got it. It's weird. Um, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. You just got to like, just like, like, just, just let it happen. All right. Let I'm it go. Gonna interview to let go. Just let go. Hey, everyone. <laughs> uh, welcome to Open Space for Monday, uh, April 27th, the 1000th week of the COVID quarantine. I'm here uh, with, <laughs> yeah, I, know, I think. I mean, it's relative time dilation. I'm not really sure, but I'm here with uh, Vastel Valdez from Twitch, uh, who is. I feel like this is like the mirror universe. Like we have like crossed some kind of barrier between uh, alternate universes, and uh, and we're going to be uh, seeing how the uh, how the rest live. How's it going, nice. man? I'm good. I'm hanging out, uh, trying to stay busy here uh, with the whole quarantine thing, yeah, stuck yeah. at home. So for people who don't know uh, who you are, who are you and what do you do? So so you call me you call me Das, right? Yep. That's the name that I've gone yep. by on Twitch for five plus years now. Uh, my real name is John Galloway because mm -hmm. I do stuff with NASA Spaceflight and my media name is not Das Valdez. So yep. I'm going by two names now. If you see me with NASA Spaceflight, I'm their host, John Galloway. If you see me on Twitch, I'm Das Valdez, the yep. name that I hate, but we won't go there. Um, but uh, yeah, that's uh, I stream on Twitch and I help people get live streams going on other places like like YouTube or whatever. Yeah. And so you you are a monster when it comes to somehow providing live coverage of events that are fairly difficult to uh to shoot such as uh you i was watching you preferably during some of the falcon uh the falcon launches i think you you had the falcon heavy one of the previous falcon heavies i believe yep and yep. you had some of the nicest footage uh clearly some kind of monster um uh you know lens on your on your camera it was terrific work I've got it here. Hang on, I'm gonna scoot out of the frame. You're gonna for a bring second. the. You're gonna show us the lens. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not even a lens. It's one big, uh, one big unit. It's literally just a Nikon P1000. Wow. So uh, this was the. I don't want to get into photography. Yeah. Uh, spend a bunch right. of money on stuff, but I want a long lens with a lot of reach. Yeah. And this was uh, this was what I was working with. Yeah, so it was it was amazing. So we were like you know, whenever there is coverage of, of an upcoming event, and this was a big one, right? I think we were coming back to watch the, um, we're coming to watch the, the next launch of the Falcon heavy. And right. you had a shot that was so tight. You could like see the, you could see the, the, uh, some of the like hot gases that were, you know, blowing out of the, the side of the rocket and such. So, yep. so mad props. It's been a, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, somebody loaned me a P1000. So a viewer actually met me down at Cape Canaveral for one of the AEHF launches with the United Launch Alliance. I don't remember if it was four. Um, and they literally handed me a P1000. They're like, you have to try this for the launch. And so I did my thing. I went over, I was on the causeway, or we were on ITL causeway for that one. Yep. And I busted out this P1000. I had never used it before. And I put it on the tripod and I got it all set to just record, right? And it's got uh, an equivalent of 3,000 millimeters of zoom. And it's equivalent because it's got a cell phone sensor on it. Right, right, right. right. Um, but uh, I, I did this for one of the AEHF launches, and it was insanity. It was so much reach on the camera. And it's not a $10,000 camera. It's like something that I can afford, right? <laughs> yeah. And I'm talking to telescope people, right? So just, just like, that's not very much. Yeah. But uh, anyways, it's uh, it I love totally playing around with all sorts of yeah so so let's let's give people like a bit of a news roundup first just before we go into more of the projects that you're working on which is um starship didn't explode yesterday have you been uh, you've been tracking that that's a good thing actually when starship doesn't explode um it's a new experience i don't know how to feel about this it's a new experience as it turns out they figured out how to make a fuel tank that actually holds fuel yeah doesn't collapse um, doesn't doesn't fold in on itself yeah <laughs> So, uh, so we saw that down at the at Boca Chica, they did the room temperature test where they just sort of filled it up, right? And then they did the the I think they did the cryo test. Didn't they do the cryo test last night? Yeah, yeah, they did a cryo test last night. Yeah, it passed with flying colors. Was the the tweet I think from Elon? Yeah, yeah. Elon Musk um, was so, quite pleased about that. Yeah, it was. I mean, that, that's a big deal because they've been trying to make these stainless stainless steel starships out there. And the last one, I think the last one failed because he said it was like a test 
order of operations or something. Yeah. Right? So or what they had done was they had they had they had filled the top tank, but they'd not filled the bottom tank, and so the whole thing is designed to be structurally strong when both tanks are are filled top to bottom. And so because they hadn't filled the bottom one, it sort of collapsed over sideways. So it wasn't necessarily that there was some fatal flaw in the way these tanks were built. It was just that they hadn't considered the structural strength of all of the the support when they when they did it so yeah i know it yeah. was a sort of a, a an embarrassing thing but this time around the thing actually did it so how um like how you have you been doing coverage of what they've been doing at boca chica and how have you been been doing this <clears throat> so i i do a ton of work with nasa spaceflight right yeah. and nasa spaceflight is an amazingly talented group of people um, that have all sorts of different skill sets, like writing articles, videographers, photographers, and I'm sort of a live stream guy that helps out with live stream stuff. Um, so we get videos from Boca Chica just about every single day from uh, Boca Chica gal yep. on Twitter. And it's literally, she loads up <laughs> videos, clips every day, and then somebody from NASA Spaceflight edit them and puts up these static, these recorded videos, right? Pre-recorded yep. videos. Um, they are insanely popular. A ton of people go over to the NASA Spaceflight channel and like keeping up with what's happening. And just recently, we did a live spot from Boca Chica. So on the last NASA Spaceflight Live uh, on Saturday, we actually dialed in to Mary just via Zoom call like this. But we had her point her camera over at the launch pad from across the street right before SN4 had done its test, right? And then there's also in the mail down to her right now um, a live stream setup. So I've built a push button live stream setup. And when she gets that, she'll just go ahead and press a button. I can log into it remotely. And we should have high def camera footage from the side of the road or wherever she goes uh, coming up shortly here within the rest of the week. Because we want to get the static fires. We want to get the hops for sure. Yeah. And it's sort of a challenge. I'd love to go down there myself and do it. But with the travel restrictions and everything in place, yeah. um, I designed a kit that I can literally put in a box and just ship down. And then I can manage all that remotely and bring it into our live stream and just right. use that as a remote camera. And, and I mean, like what a fortunate situation to have such a lovely woman who lives there and someone built a rocket production yep. facility right over the you know over her backyard and she's able to do live coverage it's like like what a transformation yeah <laughs> it's incredible it, it's, it's amazing just to have that sort of access to it because you look at other rocket yeah. companies and they're building in these facilities with robotics and stuff and you don't have a live camera from, from inside the decatur plant for united yep, launch yep, Alliance, yep. right but SpaceX is out on the side of the road at the beach down at Boca Chica and uh, just members of the public. Yeah. Mary's actually a member of the media with NASA Spaceflight um, has have been able to see what's going on on a daily basis and bring us all this, I'm going to say unprecedented coverage, right? Yeah. Because think of shuttle, right? And we had this file footage from NASA or whatever. And United Launch Alliance gives us a factory tour with Destin or whatever. But this is literally just every day we can see what's going on in these tents and in the, the VAB that they have out there and stuff um, from somebody who's out there with a camera. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, and that is just, it, it, again, it's just kind of stunning. Now I've heard that NASA is, oh, sorry, not NASA, SpaceX is like going to be buying out the town and, and evicting people. Is that going to affect the ability to get live coverage as they build things? I don't, I don't have a lot of details on exactly what's going on there. Um, I know there's a lot of very passionate people who will jump through a lot of hoops to keep bringing live coverage of what's going on. Yeah. So I think that there may be some impact, but I don't think it's going to stop what we're getting. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't have a lot of information about what's going on with buyouts and stuff. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's the worry is like, again, I think we've all gotten so hooked on the fact that there's this lovely woman with a direct view to the place oh, yeah. where they're constructing these rockets that we all want to know about. And yep. I think for, I mean, for a lot of people, I think that level of coverage would be a little uncomfortable, but SpaceX is the company that is able to handle it. And I think they're benefiting from this. We are watching the, um, the trials and tribulations of this, of this spaceship as it gets constructed. So place your bets. What do you think? When do you think we're going to see a hop? I, uh, you know, something, the hops always tend to slide around and it's not like SpaceX is doing a, a media schedule or like, and on this date, da, 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 right? Um, I, if I had to guess when there's a hop, I hope that if the Raptor static fires go correctly and don't puke their guts all over the launch pad or anything like that, 
um imagine that uh what do you think mid-may late may we may see a hop i don't know we, they, we, i i have a rule where i don't really believe dates <laughs> yeah until they're about a week away <laughs> yeah that sounds about right Tilly says we're going to try to hop yeah, yeah. Uh, the other, but the other thing about about uh spacex sort of handling it i gotta say really quickly that, that mary has a heart of gold and <laughs> no she i always know. does such a good job of she's not filming people's license plate she's not up in anybody's face she, she's not annoying she is a genuinely good person yeah and she wants to protect the privacy of the people that are working out there and stuff and so i i know that it's it's unprecedented access but it's not like we're out in anybody like oh my gosh we're here to film yeah. uh osha complaints or something right <laughs> yeah 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 so she she really does a fantastic job yeah, i know she's looking out for the workers down there I know. same thing i mean every time that we've needed any you know try to run any story about like on universe today and what's happening out there she's been so great and you can just see yep. that she's very um caring and thoughtful just about the whole yep. the whole process and clearly just a super fan of it which is Absolutely. again just a, so, such a bonus as the um, hops come up here I, I hope we get a hop sometime in may we'll see yeah. I, I have my rule we don't talk about this sure stuff sure but you just you. did so you can't take it back <laughs> but the but the thing that we are going to see in may is we're going to see that first we're going to see that first flight of human beings going to the international space station on the crew dragon on may 27th 27th is the date they schedule right now it's more than a week away so <laughs> <laughs> so are you yeah well, i learned i learned a lesson the hard way i i went down to see the second to last space shuttle launch um, right and you know you never book a return flight to a rocket launch went down there and it was delayed a month so oh. i got a chance to see the shuttle i got a chance to you know check it out and then went down to miami uh and then went home and that yep. was my space shuttle launch experience I got into a, to sort of rocket chasing well after the space shuttle, right? When when rocket mm -hmm. chasing was going on, I was a business solutions architect doing like consulting for CRM systems. That's boring. Um, but I lived in Atlanta for a long time, and I was always, oh, I'll go down and see the next shuttle launch. Oh, they keep launching these shuttles. Oh, I'll go down. And I just always, I just put it off. I lived in Atlanta for so many years. I could have easily driven down to Florida on a weekend or something, and I never did. Yeah. I, I just always said, oh, next week, nah, next time, next yeah. time. And uh, because of that, I never saw a shuttle launch because one day I blinked and they weren't launching shuttles anymore. Yeah. So it, it's funny when, when people talk about like bucket list things, I always say like if you want like a rocket launch is one of the easiest things to knock off your bucket list because literally you go to Cocoa Beach, you get a nice hotel, you yep. sit on the beach with a with a Mai Tai and you yep. watch rockets blast off into space. Your view <laughs> from your hotel balcony or the or the hotel restaurant out yep. on the out on the beach is, is pretty much exactly as good as the view that we get from the, you know, from the media, uh, yep. place, or even out on one of the causeways out at, uh, out of Cape Canaveral. It's, uh, it's definitely an easy, easy thing to knock off your bucket list. It, it no really excuse. was. I, I took my, my mom and uh, my daughter to one of the, uh, it was an Atlas 551. I know. I don't remember which launch it was, but we went to Playa Linda and you go over Playa Linda over the boardwalk and you walk down to the, to the NASA fence line. And we were there waiting for the launch. And I figured, well, if the launch gets scrubbed, oh, no, we're at the beach. What are we going to do, right? Yeah. Um, so it's a, being on the beach down in Florida waiting for a launch is a good sort of fallback plan, even if there's a scrub or a delay or something. So Yeah, yeah. So do it. Uh, well, I mean, obviously you can't right now. But yeah. so, wh so what do you now. think then? I mean, for you, are you going to be able to travel? I mean, I know you're shipping gear <laughs> to right? locations to try and get some live streams. But are you going to attempt to catch some upcoming launches i'd love to be down there for dm2 yeah. i'd love to make it down there but i'm going to completely play that by ear with the yeah. environment and the travel restrictions and, and anything that's going on uh, nasa has also been making some statements that you may have seen on twitter about yeah. limiting press access because they don't want to have 18 brazilian text press there or whatever yeah. um but uh, I'm sort of playing that by ear. Again, yeah. that's more than a week away and i've gotten to the point where if i go down for a launch i'll drive because it's easier to have the car. Yeah. I'm seven and a half hours away here in Charlotte, North Carolina. So it's not the end of the day. It's a day of driving yeah, or whatever. Bad. But that makes it super flexible in terms of a slip or whatever, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I want to make We've got down, a but... photographer that's uh, that's on the media list. But uh, but they, we we're fully expecting NASA to say, sorry, we're all full. Yep. Yeah. And that's really where this whole live stream kit thing, right? Um, I've got Chris Gebhardt not like he's mine or anything but he's down with nasa space flight and he has a kit that i built for him so when they do a launch we can spool up his kit yeah i look into the the broadcast unit remotely this is a it's a live view solo right 
And so this is a device that we get on the internet and then I can manage it all remotely. And he just needs to turn it on and plug the camera in. Yeah, point it in the right uh, direction. Yeah, it's good to have somebody, yeah, point in the right direction, right? <laughs> but it's good to have somebody that actually lives there so that we can keep bringing this, I'm not going to say boutique, but it's, it's sort of like our footage. It's not the official footage, mm -hmm. but it's our camera that's down yeah. there. And we're talking about it and, and that sort of stuff. I, I don't know. I, I sort of really dig that it's a community sort of project or it's a group sort of project as opposed to let's just watch the official feed and, and talk about it. You are know? you surprised at how how excited people are to watch some of these kinds of 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 feeds? I mean, I've... I I'm not really not, not anymore. Really. Yeah, it's, yeah. I've been I've been doing this for a long time. So I've graduated from trying to stream with just a cell phone, and so I went out to the NASA Vab, and I'm holding my cell phone up like, "Welcome to the live stream!" Like, yeah. Like I used to have mobile stream setups, which was a laptop strapped to the side of a tripod, and I did a couple launches like that. Uh, for museum events, I actually had a micro PC form factor that I put in a Pelican case and carried out to the museum with all the broadcast equipment. Right. So I've been I've been doing live streams for STEM outreach for a long time. And I, I really am not too terribly surprised because we give people a TV show that talks back to them. Yes. Right. So we're here and yeah. I'm reading chat. I'm standing on the yeah. causeway at NASA and I'm ready and I'm running the camera, but I'm also right here reading what you're saying and I'm responding to you. Yeah, I'm answering, answering questions. questions. Yeah. I feel like that's a superpower that a lot of people are starting to understand. It's, it's like, what if you talk to the TV yeah. and it talks back to you? Well, and what I think we're seeing now as well, like um, how the broadcasters, the traditional broadcasters, now that they're all locked in their houses, they're having to learn the hard way, all of the lessons that we learned about how to, to do these kinds of live streams and, and broadcasts. And, yep. and I think if you don't necessarily have the production quality and you don't necessarily have the live audience, but the thing that we can provide is that live interaction to say, Hey, we're here. We're talking to you. We see you wizard two, five, six. And, uh, <laughs> Um, and, uh, Greg Ewing. Um, and so we, uh, you know, who are the, like the most recent <laughs> commenters on both streams, um, Two people who just chatted. Yeah. 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 yeah who just chatted. And so that is, I think that de it definitely like, there's no, no shock and surprise that that is a more engaging experience. So, yep. all right. So I'm, let's shift gears. Let's, let's talk about Kerbal space Academy. Sure. What okay. is it? <laughs> so Kerbal Space Academy is what I originally started on Twitch, right? Uh, you know Kerbal Space Program, clearly. Yep. Um, but a long time ago, I was looking for resume material, and I wanted to do remote training. I needed to be able to work from home and have some flexibility. So I was like, what, what video can I record to prove to a company that they should hire me because I can be remote and train somebody on some complicated task even though I'm not there doing a presentation in their office, right? So I had this whole idea about remote training based on some previous things I had done in life. And I'm, I'm looking up, well, how, how can I record a video? How What's OBS? How does all this thing work? How do I composite different things together? And uh, at the time, I was playing a lot of Kerbal Space Program as, as a game that I enjoyed, right? And I saw in the Kerbal Space Program for, forums, here's how to stream KSP on Twitch. And I was like, Twitch? What the heck is that? <laughs> and I, I had no clue. This was six years ago, right? Yeah. And I followed the instructions and I installed OBS and I got, got Kerbal running and I did a stream and a couple of people showed up. Wow, that's amazing. That's cool. Um, and I said, well, okay, this is cool because now I can record a video and maybe it shouldn't be a video. Maybe this should be a live stream where I'm teaching somebody something that's complicated in, in a live stream sort of format. And I'm going to use this to find a job training people how to use their CRM software or whatever. Man, I'm glad that didn't work out. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I did, I did my Kerbal Space Academy streams. I just came up with the name Kerbal Space Academy, and I said, you know, Kerbal Space Academy is a or Kerbal Space Program is a game that has a really big learning cliff, right? Yeah. It's inspired by realistic physics or whatever, and so in order to play the game, you have to learn some real rocket engineering, orbital mechanics, whatever. Um, so my streams for Kerbal Space Academy were come to my stream and hang out. I'll explain things in KSP and do like a live tutorial. Because you couldn't get that on YouTube. At the time, we had Scott Manley, mm -hmm. and you could do these searches, and you could find these amazing videos. But the one thing you couldn't do with the pre-recorded video was ask a question and expect to get an answer, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. I didn't get something. I had to self-source the answer. And I said, well, I'm going to do this live. And if somebody has a question, they can ask me right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to answer in real time. I can use the screen and draw on it or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, so that was Kerbal Space Academy. And uh, I, I just started off you know, saying, hey, come to my stream. And I'll help you learn how to play KSP. Um, one day my computer broke. 
though. So I had people, you know, 10 people show up, 20 people show up, 25 people show up. I, th I think there were probably 40 or 50 people showing up every night. And uh, some sort of cosmic event occurred where a something cosmic ray hit my processor and literally my processor on my computer just died. Um, wouldn't even post anymore. The motherboard was just everything's host. And so I had to go online and I posted up and I'm like, hey, I can't stream anymore. Sorry, uh, my computer's dead. I can't afford to buy a brand new one right now. So, you know, it's busted. I, I can't stream anymore. And within a couple hours, people had sent me money on PayPal. And this is five years ago. Yep. They had sent me money to buy the replacement parts for my computer. <laughs> and they said, overnight these, we want you back teaching us Kerbal tomorrow. That's amazing. Please, please get it fixed. Um, and so I bought the parts and two, three days later, we were back online. And that was my first sort of indication that was, hey, maybe this isn't just a, a fun side thing. Maybe this is something I can do for a living. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. It's funny that actually that story is very similar to how I started universe today, which was that 20 years ago, I was, I worked for a web development agency in Vancouver, um, right. building bank websites and, um, power company websites. Yep. And I was like, okay, I want to test some, no one will let me try my crazy ideas. So I'm going to tr try some crazy ideas on the side. I'll run my own website and pick a topic that I'm interested in which was space. I'd always been interested in space. And so I, so I worked on this website on the side, you know, six months into it, I'm like, that's it. That's all I want to do for the rest of my life. Like now it's just a matter of figuring out how to extricate myself from this old life yep. and make this new life stick because it is yep. so much more fun. It, it really is. It, it's fun. It's, it's really rewarding to be able to share things with people. You yeah. know, I, I view myself, I'm not an astrophysicist, right? I'm not an engineer. I, I thought I was going to be an aerospace engineer and then the dot-com thing happened <laughs> and I went off into programming, right? Yeah. Back in the day, long ago. And I, I never, I, I'm not an officially trained aerospace engineer or whatever, but I'm a huge fan of it. So one of the things that I really like to do is say, you know, you don't have to be an aerospace engineer to love this stuff. Everyone can love this stuff. Everybody can be excited. Everybody can understand what's going on. You, you don't have to be a, an absolute nerd to be a part of what's going on. And I mean, granted, we are all big nerds. Yeah, yeah. I'm fine with. Yeah. Um, but I, I really enjoy just bringing experiences to people that maybe they wouldn't think to go out and find themselves, right? Yeah. Like Twitch, like Twitch is watching right now. Twitch is the old bait and switch where it's, uh, oh yeah, come and watch me play a video game. Oh, by the way, a rocket's launching. Let's go watch that too. Yeah. Ah. Got you. Now let's talk about space. Yeah, it's, so, uh, it, it, that part is very interesting because, you know, originally back in the Justin TV days, it was very much about like, let's live life live with someone yep. and do something interesting. In this case, let's go walk up, watch a rocket launch. That would be perfect. And then they shifted into this video game thing, which clearly was a lot stickier. A lot of people wanted to watch people play video games, but now they're kind of coming back around and it turns out, hey, let's actually, um, let's, let's get real life interesting real life back into the mix again yeah. and and i think that for i mean what matters is to like twitch with any of this stuff is just like to see people doing things that they're good at having interesting conversations interesting ideas that you can participate in is is an absolutely brand new media form that we that has never existed before in human society and we are figuring it out as we go along as we move this forward week after week after week yep, and that's uh, the same the same sort of thing um I, I like to say i did a presentation with uh corporation for holy broadcasting so pbs yep. right um i went to their national symposium in dc and i got up on the stage and we did a little presentation about new forms of media and, and one of the things that I had going through my mind was imagine all the people that are inspired by Carl Sagan, these people, right, who in the past have made these cool videos or TV shows or whatever. And, and imagine that you're so inspired by Carl Sagan and you were there watching the show and you had a question and you asked it. Yeah. And what if Carl Sagan looked at the camera and answered your question, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's what we're doing these days. I'm not Carl Sagan, but I can look at the camera and yeah. I can read something that you just asked and I can answer it for you. And yeah. if we were inspired or engaged previously by, by Carl Sagan, that sort of stuff, imagine today with the new technology and the live interactive yeah. interactiveness, whatever, yeah. um, that we have, like, imagine how inspiring that can be for someone, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I can, you know, when we do some of the live streams, it's the exact same thing, right? You're watching the chat, you're doing your thing. A person asks a question, you answer the question, you continue, yep. you blend it in. If you have time, if there's too many questions, you, you do what you can to get through it. Um, and, and it is something that, again, you know, 
just does not has not existed before and is very compelling. And I and I you know it's not surprising to me that people enjoy this more than they enjoy just watching their their regular television. Uh, once you get into it, right? Once you yeah, get out of yeah. that passive once you, mode, once you understand what's going on, yeah, everybody totally. everybody that I sort of work with, right? I, I work with museums, and they're like, "You want to do what? <laughs> Why would you want to do that?" And I'm like, "Just trust me, okay? Just trust me. We're gonna yeah. go and we're gonna do this virtual field trip. Just just give me permission, please." And uh, give me one virtual field trip. Give me give me a 30 minute show with somebody from the museum. And by the end of the show, they'll be like, what is this? How are you able to do this? This is amazing. People are watching and you're talking to them live. Yeah. Um, they don't always get it at first. But once they see it and they're sort of a part of it, they're like, this, this is really great. Like, how can we do more of this? Yeah. Um, I, have a, I have a great story. I was here at the Charlotte airport, right? And uh, they had the Hurricane Hunter aircraft. So they had like a C-130 that came through that was kitted out for hurricane hunting with NOAA. And uh, I had on my live stream backpack and I've got my live view stuff and I'm sitting there on the side of the roof and or the side of the, the hangar. And uh, they had members of the public there sort of milling around, looking around. And I'm just standing there. And on either side of me, there's two news cameras because they sent out the news folks as well. And at some point, the planes are starting up. They're starting to taxi. And I turn around and all the public is left. There's no one left there. And they thought that I was news media. So they didn't bother me or ask me to leave. And I'm just standing next to the weather guy, but I'm, I'm there on my phone and we're seeing the planes roll out and I'm answering questions and people, he's, people are asking questions. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's a great question. Here's that. Da, 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 da. Here's what it's doing. Let me point the camera over yeah. there in the weather anchor for the local news station. Like the guy on, on the weather show on TV um, looks over to me and is like, how are you answering those questions? Or where is that coming from? Is that your studio? talking to you? <laughs> you have yeah, yeah, and I yeah. said, no, it's chat right here. I'm just answering questions. He's like, how are you doing that? I'm like, it's right here on my phone. I just yeah. read it and answer in real time. So it is an, it is a sort of a brave new world of yeah. ways that we can interact. And it doesn't take an entire broadcast studio to do it. Like we yeah. have cell phones and technology and your stream and OBS and, and all the yeah. things that we can do. Uh, I'm as you can tell, I talk for a living. Like I can talk about this stuff all day long. Oh, well, yeah, and so can I. So you know, don't get us started. But but you can definitely see that we um, like being able to do this stuff live, being able to answer these questions. You know, so I, I, at this point now has sharpened my brain for being able to do this kind of a content that I literally can't. I could just sit there and just answer questions nonstop for hours yep. on end if need be, um, yep. and. I've seen almost every flavor of every question that will possibly be asked to me. And so I've had a chance to rehearse in real time each one of the answers. You know, you want to talk about dark matter? No problem. You want to talk about dark energy? Let's do it. Um, and so on and so forth. And it is uh, and and my recommendation to anybody who wants to kind of get into journalism, wants to get into this process is just put yourself alive and just, you know, just just keep getting smashed by by questions until your brain starts to learn. Yep. Um, and it's absolutely uh, amazing. So I've got a bunch of questions now. I want sure. to I've been I've been hogging the time, but there's some great stuff here. So Uncle Bill Druin, who is in both chats. Oh, geez. So, who let him in? Yeah, I appreciate him. And also he's one of my moderators here. So this is great. Uh, ask ask Daz about his knack for creating partnerships. He's real pressed to NASA because of partnership with NSF, virtual field trips, open secret doors, because of partnership with the nonprofit vectors, RoboMasters. How do you do it? I just get excited about stuff and, and I like to talk to people, right? So, so that's such a broad question. Like, how do you, how do you make partnerships? Yeah. Um, I you guess the, the long and short of it is I have a very specific set of skills and I, I like to use them to help people share the things that they have a very specific set of skills about. So you have a museum and the museum has all this content at the museum and they have educators and they have experts, but they might not have anybody who knows live streaming. Guess who knows live streaming? Yeah. I can help yeah. with that, right? So, um, I'll go to the museum and we'll talk about a special event or something and say, you know, you bring your set of expertise, your educators or whatever, and I'll bring my expertise uh, talking and making a live stream work. And let's see if we can do something. Uh, it seems a lot easier than it was, or it's, it seems to, easy just to say it that way, I guess. Right. But you got to sort of know the right people to talk to. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean you have to already have the contacts, but you just need to know who to ask for. One of the biggest problems I had at first with working with museums or organizations was I don't even know where to send the email to. Like, how do I convince someone that they should spend any time talking to me at all? Yeah. Um, and the way that I sort of, I don't even want to say that I cracked the nut because I can still send an email and they'll be like, whatever, I'm not going to talk to this guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, it's, it's just learning about how a museum works and, and how their PR department or their education department or their media department 
I will say this, probably much to the terror of museum PR people out there, I've found a lot more success working through the STEM outreach or educational arms than the marketing or the PR arms of organizations, right? Yeah. So if I approach it as, hey, you know, let's talk to the PR people yep. and say, we want to come and do this thing, they wave off really quick yep. a lot of the times. But if you go to the educational outreach thing, you're like, hey, we have a show. What I do is I go around and I want to share the cool stuff that you have at your museum. I'm not asking you to pay me for it or anything like that. I just want access, maybe a special guest to come on. Yep. Um, you go to the education department, you go to the outreach department, and they're a lot more open to that sort of conversation than the PR group, which thinks that you need to rent out their museum to film a scene for the movie or yeah. whatever. Right? Yeah. So, and I mean, for me, you know, you sort of get to this point where you're not limited by who you can talk to. You're limited literally by just by your own imagination and your bandwidth. Yep, and, and, and so like, yeah, I mean, I could talk to anyone at this point. I, it just doesn't even occur to me. And so someone's got to say, Hey, you should talk to so-and-so. I'm like, oh, who? Okay, sure. Yeah. And then you get them on the phone and you, and you get them and then you do an interview with them. And yep. it is, and a lot of the times these people are glad they're grateful for a chance to, to do some kind of outreach, especially in a way that, that connects with the public so directly. And they almost never get these opportunities. I mean, this great sadness that I always have is like, there's all these incredible researchers doing this amazing work and same thing at, at these different museums. They've got this incredible, you know, the museum, when you see out the front, is just a fraction of it's like the tip of the iceberg of what they've actually oh, yeah. got behind the scenes. And oh, they've yeah. got these incredible exhibits. They love to show people, but they just don't have the time or whatever. And, and so same thing, researchers, they're doing this incredible news, they write their paper, and whether or not their information reaches the wider public, it just depends on on if they have a public relations official at their university or at their research institution, who happens to take notice and is willing to take on the story. And you yep. just kind of go, you look at the paper and you go, Oh, this person has figured out this really important thing. And you you send them an email or you talk to them on the phone and you say, can I interview about this thing? And they're usually very happy. And then what I find is that they will, um, uh, they'll redirect you back to the PR person. But now you've got the actual researcher saying, Hey, can you please talk to, <laughs> talk to this journalist? So yeah, that's, it, that's the thing that happens a lot. Like sometimes you'll get kicked back over here, yeah. but it's, it's all about, we're, we're trying to help share this stuff, right? We're, we're trying to help you share the awesome stuff you did. You say you read the paper, it's, you, you read their paper. You read this and like, wow, this is awesome. Other people should know about this. This would be really interesting to talk about. Um, and just sort of getting past that bump. I mean, the other big bump that you have to get, get past is I'm not here to, to like show up and lick your airplanes, all right? <laughs> Yes, I want to do a live show, but I'm not going to do like a shock show and I'm going to like misbehave because originally a lot of the a lot of the thinking on YouTube or whatever was, wow, that's like shock video. We can't let this person come into our facility live or we don't want to talk to this person live. Who knows what they're going to do? Yeah, right? yeah. So it's taken some sort of critical mass of, of content to convince people of. I'm not going to show up and, and lick your aircraft exhibit, okay? That's not why we're coming here. Right. So, like a credibility sort of thing, I guess. Yeah, right? I guess so. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Um, let me see. There was another question. Okay, so Seth Cooper wants to know about RoboMasters, and I'm actually not familiar with that at all. So what's RoboMasters? Okay. So so RoboMasters. Um, Seth, I don't, I don't know if you've seen me do RoboMasters before, but uh, I am the international host for the RoboMaster competition, which is an... A, robotics competition put on in china every year by dji so drone company mm -hmm. dji and there are over 100 universities in china that build robots and they use the robots in sort of a real-time arena it's almost like a moba video game first person shooter but instead of it just being a game they're controlling actual robots in an arena and the robots where's deb's he at the robots actually look like little tanks hang on a second you've got look. one of them oh yeah that's awesome Oh my God! Yeah. <laughs> All right, had to had to grab my little robot dabs here right quick, but uh, this is one of their educational robots, right? And it's a it's a RoboMaster S1. Let's back it up a little bit so it gets on the camera. And so they drive around an arena, and they actually have a little projectile blaster on the top of them, and the robots have to shoot the other robots and, and bounce little projectiles off their armor plates. 
but there's an entire system that's like keeping score in the game and the robots have hit points they get knocked out which deactivates them there's goals like capturing a flag or defending territory or positions or whatever um but the cool thing is this is this is an educational robot so you can buy one of these right uh, but for the actual competition, the students have to make their own robots from scratch. Right. And they run it as if it's a company. So it's not, okay, everyone gets the same kit. Congratulations. Now build your robot and drive them. You design it. You build it. Right. You use your 3D printing. You have to come up with your funding. So they'll have university students from the marketing track come in and try to help them come up with a presentation to right. raise funding. So RoboMaster is not just everyone gets the same robot. We're all on the same page. And now right. it's even um, you start from scratch to, to build and design these robots. But for the past three years, I've flown out to Shenzhen, China for two weeks and I'm there in the stadium and I'm speaking English. I am the English voice of RoboMaster to yep. let people know what's going on. But it's, it's an amazing competition because it's all done by the students. And if they've designed something, it's because the students designed it. You can have an aimbot. So if you program computer vision that can recognize the enemy robot targets and automatically aim the turret, that's allowed because you're the programmer that made it. Right. Um, the engineers that actually make the harnesses and yokes and all this, the, the, it's the same sort of technology they use on DJI gimbals. So how you have one of those gimbals that's keeping the camera stable, uh, that's what's on the turret of the robot. But it's, it's a way to sort of make the engineers and the programmers and all the college students that are involved with this uh, superstars. But that's what RoboMaster is. I, I'm a huge fan of RoboMaster. That's it's kind of incredible. It's similar to I know they have these like robotic uh, soccer games that they play yep. every year. Yep. And and there's like a version of that now where they're actually having like Asimo like larger robots that are that are trying to battle one another or try to play a game of soccer. And so the goal is to beat the top ranked soccer team at soccer some team. point in the, in the future, you know, maybe it'll be by 2050 <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so how do you, how fast has this stuff been advancing? I mean, you've done this for three years now, right? Um, Does it feel like so it's getting, or yeah, that you've gone to, how many times have you been to Shenzhen and, and actually participated in this? So I've, I've been out there three years. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately it's not looking like we're going to make it out there this year because of everything that's going on yeah, with the world, course. but they were just, this year they were starting to spread into the United States. So we were actually supposed to have an international regional competition oh. that was not in China. And they had enough teams, enough universities that were signed up. Uh, but that unfortunately looks like it's been pushed back to 2021 as well because of the environment that we're all in. Right. Yeah. Um, but it really, it's, it's been a huge thing in China for a long time. Right. And it was even before DJI was involved. Uh, RoboMaster, this robotics competition was, was a big, a big deal. And it, I wish more people knew about it. Every time we do it on Twitch, we have it on the front page and Twitch works with us and they, they give yep. us promotional slots and everybody that finds it, they say, wow, what is this? This is amazing. I had no clue that this was a thing. I want, I want to see more stuff like this. Um, but it's, it's almost like an ESPN style thing for university students doing robotics, which is really cool. And are they remote control? I guess they're whatever they want, right? Like if they want to try and remote control their little robot, they can. If they think they can automate it, they can. It's up to them. It's uh, so it's first person view. The pilots of the robots are actually sequestered over in a room and they cannot see the arena. And when they're playing, they have a mouse and keyboard. They're ASDW, like they're playing a first person shooter, a video game, but the robots are actually using the real world as their physics engine. And the robots have to drive around the actual arena and actually fire projectiles and bounce off each other. It's all non-destructive. Right. So, so you're not trying to destroy other robots physically, right? It's all yeah. a point system with hit points. Yeah. Um, but the, the pilots can't see the arena. They have to program in the cameras, the camera angles, the different switches. They have to have communicate. So they literally have gamer headsets on and they're talking to each other. If one person sees this, they communicate it to the rest of the yeah. team. It's, it's literally like a, a game of Counter-Strike or League of Legends or whatever that... I, I like to say uses the real world as this physics engine, but you know, but I, it, it does feel like, you know, we are at like just a couple of iterations away from some sort of like robot death match where these robots are fighting in some arena to, you know, with real ordinance, but you yeah, know, we'll get there. I, we'll get there. I've, I've seen stuff like that. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of that. Like, you know, the, the, the battle bots sort of stuff. Yeah. You put a lot of work into your robots. Yeah. You don't want to have to, yeah, build it from scratch there's definitely again. a place for that. That's actually a, a spectacle sort of thing. But RoboMasters and other things like First Robotics, which is amazing yeah. as well, 
Um, they're non-destructive because these kids, these students have put in literally hundreds or thousands of hours working on robots. And you don't want to roll in the arena and just set it on fire all of a sudden after they've spent all this time on it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you so need to be I, able to extract the technology from the winning robot and, you know, try and use it for future versions. So yep. uh, Raj Luthra is asking, um, what are you looking forward to in Kerbal Space Program 2? That is a great question. <laughs> what am I looking forward in Kerbal Space Program 2? Um, I think that our interplanetary stuff is going to be way legit. So in our intergalactic stuff, going Inter, to like different interstellar, star like star system, yeah, to interstellar. Star system. So it's galactic, stellar and interplanetary. Yeah, so yeah. interstellar um, being able to go to their star systems is going to be really cool. I also like building big stuff like bases or shipyards. And in Kerbal one, we've always run into the problem where you get a massive space station that looks really cool. And then your computer becomes a slideshow. Ka-chunk, ka-chunk, ka-chunk. Right. So I'm super excited by things that we've seen in Kerbal One. They've made all these improvements. They've moved to a new version of Unity and they've updated code and optimized things. It's still not perfect, but we're already getting in Kerbal One better performance. I can't wait to see what happens in Kerbal Two when they've been able to rewrite the engine from the ground up, right? That's uh, always the problem with Kerbal Space Program was that it was a passion project by people who were not originally game programmers, right? Mm -hmm. So we had sort of some code that maybe wasn't the most optimized code. And, and we had the Kraken, which is a really cute way of saying, we don't know how to make this work right. So it's going to make your craft explode. Um, but I hope in Kerbal 2, with the whole new engine being rewritten from the ground up by people who started off as professional programmers, will give us a whole other experience for Kerbal. Yeah. So is it like, like, does it have no shared lineage from Kerbal One beyond the general ideas and the, you know, the general atmosphere? Yeah, it's supposed to be completely written from the ground up, a new yeah. engine, a new way of calculating orbits and tracking everything, a new way for mods to work. And, and that sort of scares people because they're like, I love Kerbal One. I don't want them to mess up Kerbal One. Right? Keep playing. Um, yeah. From what I've seen, they, you know, hashtag sponsored, they flew me out to their offices. They let us meet all the developers. They had this pillar, struts of the community, they called it, like YouTubers and streamers and stuff that were big Kerbal fans. Um, and I am really optimistic about what we'll see out of there. It's more than a month away, though, so, you know. That's pretty quick, though. I mean, I can sort of remember when those first few trailers were coming out, and now we're just a couple of months away from it being into our hands at this point. Eh, hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah, there's there's been a bunch of sort of pushing back and we don't know exactly when it was supposed to come out. Originally, maybe it was already supposed to be out and then they reorganized some things. And, you know, my, my overarching comment on that is I want Kerbal 2 to be great and I don't want them to rush it like just, oh, well, we got to be done because people want it to be done. Just ship it. Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, um, I always say that I learn more f about being a space journalist by playing Kerbal Space Program than I nice. did by actually um, spending years reporting on stuff, right? It's one thing to talk about the Rocket Apogee and when it kicks into its second stage and the problem that it had with its second stage, et cetera, et cetera. And it's another thing to see your poor Kerbal stranded because yep. you didn't put enough fuel in the upper stage and you see what happens. And um, like, Literally, it just felt like all of these these ideas that I had talked about for years and years, literally for 10 years, I had been reporting on on this stuff before I actually even played the game. And yeah. suddenly, yeah, you're like launching, you're going through your stages, you're going into orbits, you're waiting to your apogee, and then you're firing again to circularize your orbit, and you're, you know, setting in to do a transfer uh, burn to go to the moon or, you know, to whatever. Um, and then, of course, you're doing the, uh, all I could get to is doing a... Um, litho break onto the moon oh um, yeah yeah which, it sounds like you need a friend who can teach you some yeah i guess so stuff. i yeah if only you knew someone <laughs> if only i knew somebody yeah um i'll i'll i'll, uh, I'll start watching uh that's yeah. why how do, how do i stop litho breaking that that'll be my first uh my first comment but so, it was just like amazing right like just like yeah, suddenly yeah. all these ideas all just like pop into your brain and now you just have this way and so now i can talk about like i don't have time to play ksp anymore but yep, yep. it is in my genetic code now when i talk about this stuff i have this like i literally have this error routine that is checking the things that i say against what i learned in kerbal space program to kind of go <laughs> wait a minute you know like why is it so hard to get to the sun obviously it's so hard to get to the sun because you've got to kill that delta v from the yep. earth's orbit around the sun right all of this stuff is you know home and transfer orbits um yep. uh you know um 
I mean, they they don't have they hadn't implemented Lagrange points. I don't know if they will in in no, future no, ones. Yeah, not in Kerbal One. The whole yeah. engine doesn't really support it. You have to fake it. Yeah, Kerbal gravitational assists. No, so. Yeah, gravitational assists work though, and a lot of that stuff you get a chance to actually implement them in the game, and you're like, okay, yep. got it. I understand yep. now, and then I can explain it in a way that that I you know it is this ladder that I was able to use to be able to explain stuff. I loved it. Yeah. I my my Twitch chat is going to k kill me for this, but I I play I have in the past played a version that I called Ultra Hardcore Kerbal, uh -huh. which was a bunch of difficulty options. I wasn't going for realism. I was just trying to make it a lot more involved from a thinking perspective. And so it was like Kerbal life support. You had to have food and water and stuff for them. You had to deal with their sanity. So you couldn't just put them in a little pod for three yeah. years. You had to give them room to spread out and television signal and electric charge for air conditioners and stuff and all these different things like build time. And there was Kerbal radiation and, and just all this stuff, right? Um, of course, no reverts and, and that sort of thing as well. But playing in that sort of mode gives you a really deep appreciation for the things that real space flight has to think about yep so we'll do a launch and we have to practice the launch in the simulator and it cost me ker bucks to practice <laughs> in the simulator so how much money do i spend simulating it how much time do i spend simulating yep. it then it's actually time to do the launch do we need a checklist or written down we've got sstos and in the simulator over and i say the simulator it's like the simulator inside of kerbal which is technically a simulator yeah um game whatever but you have to keep you have to keep thinking through all this stuff, and, and you see why. Here is the checklist. We're on page forty-eight, item three sixty-two. Why why do they need that? Why don't they just dock the spacecraft with the yeah. ISS? Because yeah. everything has to happen in the right order. Yeah. If it doesn't happen in the right order, you forget one thing. All yeah. of a sudden, it goes south. Um, it's a it's a lot of fun to sort of play from a thinking perspective. I mean, there's random part failures. Yeah. Right? Oh man. So we can have an engine just die in the middle of a launch, and we have to design our emergency abort systems. Right. Even like, are you going to put boosters on the side if the boosters aren't uh, aren't reliable enough, and one goes out? What do you do when your rocket starts to cartwheel? Yeah. Just all this crazy. Oh, that's stuff. amazing. It's it's, it's interesting. I mean, and I'm sure you get a version of that as well. But we get, you know, I find that the people who, you know, there are the SpaceX fans who are really excited about the incredible accomplishments that are being made. And right. like almost for the first time, somebody is taking their love of space flight seriously. Like now we have a shot at this science fiction future, but at the same, same time, it's more difficult and more complicated. And, you know, the fact we opened this show joking about the fact that we finally have a starship that didn't explode. Finally, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we haven't seen anything yet. I mean, you know, you go out to space, you're going at incredible speeds. You've got the forces involved. You've got the harsh conditions, all the things that can break down, all the things that can fail, not yep. to mention the conditions of trying to reach these other places, the finite amounts of fuel. It goes on and on and on. It is going to yep. be really hard out there. Um, do you see this having a place in helping people kind of wrap their head around almost temper their expectations about how right. difficult this is going to be. You mean Kerbal or well, Kerbal in general, but I mean like, right. like I think people are, are going to wonder why we don't have people walking on Mars in four years because that was yeah, the promise. I, I think there's a lot to it. It's, it's like the math and stuff like that has been done. It's the execution of it that's difficult. And, and you see SpaceX having trouble welding stainless steel tanks. Well, welding stainless steel tanks is not anything new to humanity, right? <laughs> the old atlases were welded stainless steel tanks that are way thinner than anything SpaceX has worked on. Um, but but they're doing it in this organic sort of way, and it's it's out on the beach, and it's in a hut or in a tent or whatever. And, and how do you make it work with this new way of thinking about space, Yeah. right? We're not in a clean room. We don't have robots, right? We, we have people out there on a shaky boom lift trying to weld something as the sand blows by and all their inert gases get blown away and stuff. Like, how do we actually make that happen? Um, I think that there are a lot more... What's the right way to say this? There's, there's a lot more challenge with the way that SpaceX is going about, specifically Starship, than there is the math behind what they're trying to do. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So, so we know we know how to get to the moon. We know how to calculate a trajectory that's going there. We know how much fuel we need. Da 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 da. But we need a fuel tank that can hold the fuel right. first, right? Yeah. And we need if we want to mass produce these things, how do we make that happen on this sort of budget, on this sort of time yeah. frame, as opposed to the old space way of doing things, which is this big robotic factory and this clean room and, and all this sort of stuff. Um, I am. I am excited and I also temper my sort of expectations because 
it's cool that there's all sorts of different ways that things are happening. And I would love to see SpaceX succeed because I love seeing rockets fly. Like I want to see Starship fly. Mm -hmm. I don't care where they build it. I want to see that thing fly. Um, but I, I know that the challenge isn't so much our understanding of, of how to get to the moon or whatever, but just the blocking and tackling all the basic stuff that they need to do, given their yeah. lightweight, rapid development sort of stuff that, that they're going for to try and make it cheaper and break out of yeah. the, the old school space. Right? Yeah, and I think that people have a difficult time just understanding that how many orders of magnitude more the forces are that are on a rocket ship attempting yeah. to reach orbital velocity, not to mention returning from orbital velocity yep. through the atmosphere and to be able to land safely, all bring all the stages home. It's a ridiculous challenge to do. The math says it's not impossible, but yep. just because it's not impossible doesn't mean that it's going to be very straightforward to accomplish. The wells need to hold. And the wells need to hold. hold. And each one of these, I mean, yeah. we haven't even, like, just wait until these things start trying to belly flop through the atmosphere at 28,000 kilometers an hour, right? Yeah. I, I want to see that. I, I think that in my, <laughs> I think that we'll see that sooner rather than later, right? We know that it's possible. SpaceX is all about it. They're, they're, they're out there and there's so much there's groundswell behind it. Like so many people want this to succeed. Yeah. I, I have a feeling that it almost has to succeed at some level. Um, are we going to be flying like four starships a week or anything like that next year? I, I don't know. I'm not in charge of that, but I can't wait to see that stuff fly. Cause that's going to be just a, an amazing spectacle. Like, like when I first saw the two Falcon heavy boosters come down to land, right. I had seen a single booster land and it's like, all right, that's cool. I know what to expect. Yeah. Okay. Two boosters are going to land at the same time. But being out there and actually seeing it, yeah, I know it happened because I was there and saw it happen with my own eyes. But I could understand why people would be like, "That's CGI. Look at that. Yeah, really, Come on. doesn't even look real because it doesn't look like it should be happening. Yeah, it looks like something we would see in an Avengers movie or something." Um, but I, I was there on the causeway. I've filmed it three times myself using my own camera equipment. Saw it with my own eyes. I know it really happens, but I, I can see. I mean, you got to sort of suspend not suspend your disbelief it just doesn't look like it should be real yep yeah i i um you know the only launch that i saw was an atlas i watched a cyrus rex blast mm -hmm. off and so there was no none of that none of the landing with cyrus rex but it still was very impressive to watch the rocket go up the closest yep. i have to that is i had one aurora i was one night out here in canada and i was able to see like a really powerful aurora where it was yeah. taking up half the sky it was shimmering and there was ribbons and and my camera couldn't capture what was going on because yep. it's ha it's changing so quickly that you don't know what exposure to set your camera at to be able to try and capture. If you go too long, it's all a blur. You go too short, it's too it's too faint. And yep. so you just had to take it in with your eyeballs. And there's no way to really get across to another human being what it is that you were experiencing. You just yep. you had to be there. And I, I think it's a similar, you know, situation. I say I say the same thing all the time when I, I've been down to the Cape. I don't even know how many times I've been to the Cape to, to stream rocket launches, to record rocket launches. Um, but you can watch a YouTube video. You can have high def audio. You can have 4K slow mo. Like all these different amazing bits of technology that, that we have at our hands to capture the stuff. Right. Yeah. None of that actually conveys being there yep. and seeing it in person. Yeah. When you it's feel just, it in your uh, chest. When yeah. You feel the vibrations rolling it's, it's across the experience yeah that rocket takes off and, and you get the delay because of the sound coming at you and you feel it right yeah. you feel it. i don't care how big your subwoofers are i don't i don't care what sort of <laughs> you have yeah, like, yeah yeah you're at a launch and you feel that you're there at the launch even just the adrenaline of being out there and waiting for it and it's like t minus two minutes is it going to go is there going to be a hold listen to the launch net all the stuff that goes on it, it just builds up when you're there in person and so i always 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 say um I know that not everybody can travel. There are people overseas, especially right now. We're not traveling anywhere yeah. right now. But once society sort of gets back to, I don't want to say normal, but you know what I mean. Um, if you have an opportunity to make it to a launch, wallops over in Virginia, you go down to the Cape in Florida. Hopefully we get stuff flying out of Vandenberg soon. Um, I know Europe, it's super hard for Europe because there's not a lot of launch facilities going on in yeah. Europe. There's is in um, South, South America. Yeah, it's just not a thing, right? It's not convenient. Um, if you have the opportunity to to witness a launch in person, it yeah. is well worth your time. Yeah, go Just, east coast, not west coast. The west yeah. coasters get fog 
out of uh, <laughs> so so generally what you'll get is you hear a lot of noise you'll see the clouds light up and if you're lucky you'll see something appearing above the the, the cloud deck but see the clouds light up huh i went out there for uh, the last delta two and i'm all ready to go and we we stood next to the pad i was with united launch alliance i was on the pad there waiting for the delta two we were there for rollback and I stood there for four, four and a half hours, and the only part of that last Delta II I saw was one of the nozzles of one of the SRBs. And I'm like, okay, well, I stood there four hours. I didn't see anything. And then the rollback didn't happen. The rollback was just delayed, which is yep. why we didn't see the rocket, right? So we went out, and, oh, all right, I'll, I'll capture this. The night before, I'm, like, scouting out the marine layer. I'm up all night. I find an elevation where I'm up above the marine layer. And, okay, this is going to be awesome. We're going to see the rocket break out of the marine layer, and this we're going to live stream this, right? What plan survives the battlefield? The <laughs> night of the launch, I go to that position, I scattered it out, I took reference photos, yeah. I look at everything, and the marine layer is like 200 feet up above my elevation. Yeah, I didn't even hear I sat to launch. <laughs> I didn't even see the clouds light up. I didn't see anything. Nothing, no. Yeah, and, and, and apparently like a lot of people that were 20 miles away on a mountain had a much better view of the yes. of it breaking through the marine layer and, and heading <laughs> off to, uh, to space. So yeah, no, there's no... <sighs> Yeah, you can't you can't predict this kind of thing. If Vandenberg's all you got, though, give it a try. Like if you're within striking distance, you can make it to Vandenberg. Like give it the old college try and just yep. be nice to the marine layer. Now we've just got a couple of minutes left, so I want to give you a chance to shamelessly self-promote some upcoming stuff that you're working on. So what should people who, you know, like I said, this is we've opened a portal between worlds here. Um, right. uh, if people want to watch what you're doing, where should they go? What should they do? So I'm, I'm always over here on my Twitch channel, right? If you're at twitch.tv slash dosvaldez, that's where I stream all sorts of wacky stuff. Um, I do Kerbal help desks, I've been calling them lately, so people can just tune in and ask questions about Kerbal. I try to do those occasionally. Twitch chat, please don't shoot me. Um, but uh, I'm always over on my Twitch channel. I'm also doing a lot of stuff with NASA Spaceflight, so you'll see our NASA Spaceflight live. Uh, we're doing that every Saturday on the NASA Spaceflight YouTube channel. Yep. If you're on YouTube and you search for NASA Spaceflight, that's pretty easy to find. Uh, I'm the host, so I'm doing all that production remotely here for them. And we have special guests come on and stuff. Um, we just did the event with Intrepid Museum. Yeah, So we did saw the that. first virtual astronomy live event with Intrepid. And we had Charlie Bolden. We had Mike Massimino. We had a Nicole Stott. We had Dr. Frank Summers with the Space Telescope Institute who processes the Hubble imagery. We had all them talking about Hubble. And I'm hoping that we spool up some more of those virtual events with Intrepid Museum because they've got a lot of firepower to get guests on. Yeah, it's um, been great. I've had a chance to interview uh, Mike Massimino a couple of times. And yeah, you know, yeah. it's such a pleasure to talk to somebody who actually fixed the Hubble Space Telescope. It's Yep. You know. he, he had a great comment uh, when we did the interview, the, the live stream, the virtual event on Friday, where he was like, he was talking about the Hubble Space Telescope and, oh, what do you think of this? This galaxy is doing this. And he's like, I don't know. I just fixed it. I don't look through it. So um, he's, he's a fantastic guy to have on the show. And just about every single astronaut or special guest that we've chatted with, um, they all have such good stories. Yeah. They all have such, they're, they're, they're human beings, you know? They're humans and they have stories and, and they've done things and they they love to tell their stories. Yeah. So um, hopefully to, to roll that back around, hopefully we have some more of those virtual events with Intrepid Museum. We got stuff coming out of Boca Chica again with yep. NASA Spaceflight. Um, I was telling you sort of off offline that I was packaging up this broadcast kit for a Boca Chica gal down there. So shortly we should have live footage from her vantage points of what's going on as opposed to just pre-recorded stuff, um, which I love but I like live streams, right? Um, oh, I have a Bluebird camera. Have you seen my Bluebird camera? No. <laughs> Are you talking about I, I your, your bird uh, your bird TV? Yeah, my, my bird camera in my backyard. I was uh, practicing some of the remote teleoperation stuff that we need for our virtual productions for the Cape or for Boca Chica or whatever. So I have a couple live stream cameras pointed at Bluebirds. I have four baby Bluebirds in a nest in my backyard and there's like a live camera on them. Oh, that's awesome. So too dark to see him right now, though. It's uh, nine o'clock now. So. Yeah, you're living in the future. Anyways, I'm, I'm all over the map. Uh, I'm on Twitch all the time. I'm on Twitter as well. K Space Academy on Twitter, where I post up what I'm what sort of wacky projects I'm getting into these days. Yeah. So. And uh, and so if people want have an upcoming event, uh, is there something uh, that you're excited about that's coming up shortly? The uh, I guess the next whatever is going to get tested out at yeah, uh, my, Boca Chica. my next big thing is getting the live stream kit down to Boca Chica and yep. getting uh, helping produce that live footage coming from yeah. Boca Chica. 
So that's uh, coming over this week, later this week, et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's the next sort of big thing. And Fantastic. that'll be with NASA space flight. Wonderful. Um, on that uh, one, well, so. John, it was an absolute pleasure to finally meet, finally talk. Like I said, I don't know how long we can, I think we can only keep this portal between universes open for another 30 seconds or so, <laughs> but, uh, but I encourage everybody to go over to his Twitch channel and uh and learn everything you can both about Kerbal space program and watch all of this uh, amazing rocket coverage you guys what you guys are doing with uh with nasa spaceflight is absolutely terrific i'm a huge yeah. fan of all the chris's and um i can't wait to see uh, what you guys report on next time hey the last thing that i didn't mention uh, i've got a youtube channel as well where i archive off all my virtual field trip content yep. so there's somewhere north of a of a hundred hours of visits to museums <laughs> that's and amazing rocket launches and all that sort of stuff yep. that's that's just where I, where I put that curated yep. stuff so uh we've got the spruce goose that was over in uh, mcminnville oregon we've got a ton of stuff from intrepid on there um visits to kscbc down at the cave and all that is just it's long format like four hour videos of me talking to an apollo engineer or whatever <laughs> so that's on my youtube channel kspace academy that's amazing YouTube. Stop, right on, man. No, no, that's good. It's good. Well, that, I mean, I know what it's like. I mean, I could spend an hour telling you all the things I work on because there's just yep. there's too much fun stuff out there for our curiosity to follow, and it's a pleasure that people get to come along for the ride as we as Absolutely. we do this. Yeah. Right on. I appreciate it, it Fraser. Thanks great to hang out with you, on. and uh, and we'll I'm sure we'll see you again. Good deal. All right, man. All right. Take it easy, nerds. <laughs>